Oh my god! <laughs> now here's the part you're not gonna like, okay? Oh no. The key to unlock these handcuffs was six inches long! <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no! <laughs> no! <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. <laughs> that's right, Aaron. If our listeners call now at 1-800-MOBY-DICK-WAS-A-DICK, that's 1-800-MOBY-DICK-WAS-A-DICK, they'll win not one, not four, but two free tickets to heaven! Huzzah! Well, I like the sound of that, James. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is a lot harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Harry Houdini and Ibn Battuta. I'm not going to fake a reaction. I have no idea who Ibn Battuta is. You soon will. <laughs> it's a real man. I is swear. that a threat? <laughs> uh, yeah, always. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, so, James, we don't actually have a sketch here. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like that's okay, because we just ought to go down to the history lab and get this shit started so we can learn who Ibn Battuta is. After this episode, you're never going to want to do a sketch with me again. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners out there, I haven't shared any of my my part of the episode with Aaron. He is... Yeah. He is, yeah. I'm completely in the dark. I have a Google Doc that's halfway filled out for this episode. But we don't have a script. Right. And for the record, <laughs> James has done this to me before, and it's always gone well, but his demeanor is a little bit more... What's the word? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stupid. It's a little more stupid than usual. Let, let me just let me just set this up real quickly. Uh, I procrastinated and did all of my research last night and all of my writing uh, of our non-script last night. I was up at four this morning doing it. Uh, so I have no sleep. I'm on my third Starbucks double shot. And this is gonna be fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'll say this, is you won't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst part about history class, is trying to remember that shit, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah so we're so. really doing the listeners a favor. <laughs> I... Sure. <laughs> I want to I po- point something else out, too, okay? Okay. I procrastinated, too. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't, like, till fucking four in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was yesterday afternoon, and I thought I picked a character who was going to require a ton of research because it's such a big name. Yeah. Harry I was so underwhelmed. Oh no. Really? It's kind of sad. No. <laughs> so we're both going to be working overtime to make this shit funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And uh, this is, it's not a fake episode, but it kind of is. I feel like both of us, 
We didn't even half-ass it. We do not have a whole ass put together. <laughs> we, like, like, an eighth-assed it. At least I did. <laughs> wow, I didn't I didn't eighth-ass it, but maybe I quarter-assed it. I, mm. I don't know. It's not Still the, okay, less than well, a whole ass. Here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't half-ass it so much that I whole-assed it and then ran out of material. Okay. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, because, like, Houdini is... I mean, he's such a big name, but unless you're going to go read the controversial biographies about him, hmm. like, there's not there's not much to him. He's yeah, not it, like Rachmaninoff, who has this amazing narrative story. Mm, he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, did some interesting shit, and that was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I don't know. Huh. Yeah, well, and yeah. reading actual biographies is way above us. I think that's been established. Yeah, we're yeah. a weekly show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my my toesies are warm. Let's go. All right, l- let's go. <laughs> like a Mr. Rogers transition there. <laughs> Two men for the first time on this podcast. One, an escape artist who had a funny name that wasn't actually his. The other, somebody who James has told me nothing about who has kind of a funny name. In the battle for who is the batutiest only one. (laughs) So, James, Mm -hmm. tell me. Yeah. If you... (laughs) What? It wasn't the... mm. It was... Yeah. (laughs) Was it our second time doing this? Because we okay. put out the first attempt. <laughs> yeah, for very good reasons. Because I so said something naughty. He did, he did, and we don't want the PC police after us. So no, we, you know. no. All right, so if you could do any job, mm-hmm. any job, and mm. still make a flat salary of $100,000 a year, okay. what would that job be? Huh. Okay, uh, let, let's see. So, I'm thinking about Harry Houdini, and I don't know anything about him yet, except you said escape artist, right? So that got me thinking, I would love to be an escape artist, but part way. So, I would want to be locked into a refrigerator, then have this refrigerator delivered to Liam Neeson's house, and then I could ah. pop out. And be like, surprise, and then Liam Neeson hands me $100,000. And that happens every year for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's a good job. I yeah. support this. I, I support I'm the so working down. American. <laughs> <laughs> what would you oh do for $100,000 a year? I would be Liam Neeson. <laughs> so I so, could give you $100,000. <laughs> now, I already pop out of your refrigerator, so... <laughs> The only difference here is that, well, presumably I'm not naked in this scenario, and <laughs> we're both $100,000 in. Right. Okay, well, hey, I'm down. <laughs> Support us on Patreon <laughs> <laughs> so that I can pop out of Aaron's closet of coldness, yeah. which is a refrigerator if you're a dumbass like me. All right, are we ready? <laughs> Computer, please bring up Harry Houdini and Ibn Batuti. <laughs> Is that it? Batuti? Batuta. Batuta. God damn it. Affirmative, my lord. So, so tell me, Aaron. 
What is Harry Houdini best known for? Harry Houdini is best known for being the man who could escape from almost anything. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And what did this man look like? Harry Houdini looks like <clears throat> a pretty average Hungarian-American dude from the 1900s. Hmm. He has very small, shifty eyes, a face as wide as a horse's ass, ears for days, a mouth that would make you strangely uncomfortable if it ever said the word popsicle. Hmm, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he um, also looks a little bit like Alec Baldwin. Oh, I see the picture that you posted here in our not script. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he does. Uh, okay, hmm. Well, we lost all our Hungarian-American listeners, but... I didn't say all Hungarian-Americans looked like a horse's ass! Well, you said the pretty average ones, but, I mean... <laughs> you can't fight the truth. Well, I'm in trouble now. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, now I'm gonna make, like, a 20-second video on Twitter that says, I'm so done with the politics of this country. I can't say anything without getting labeled peace and you know anti-PC or something like that. Right. I'm so tired of it. And then my fame will skyrocket me to one million followers, and then I'll just sort of level off, and nobody will listen to me anymore. Huh. <laughs> that could happen. That could happen. It has happened. <laughs> to you. That's a. No. Oh. To who? No. To others. Uh, there's this. There's what? Can I pop out of the refrigerator naked? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, great. Okay. Alright, so, shall we move on? Or move in? Sure, yeah. Uh, uh... Together? I, I'm down. I'm, okay, yes. Uh, wow, we are really off today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what was Ibn Battuta best known for? Ibn Battuta is best known for being, like, the world's greatest traveler of all time. Kind of like the Islamic version of Marco Polo, but better. Uh, also, not many people know about him or have ever even heard of him, uh, because a lot of his, well, his books and his records didn't get translated to, uh, ba basically European languages until, I don't know, like 200 years ago, 100 years ago, pretty recently. So he's well, kind shit. of, yeah, he's recently become this, this interesting, well, he's always been an interesting figure, but he's gained more popularity over the, over the past few years. I see. And yeah. what did he look like? Well, he lived 700 years ago, so beats me! <laughs> no, don't beat me. Don't beat me. Um, not again. <laughs> yeah, not again. But what we do know is he was Moroccan, probably of Berber descent. And in most of the drawings and pictures I've seen of him, he's wearing a sweet-ass turban! A that... Berberban. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's it! <laughs> Okay, so he's got a turban, and he's from Berber. Uh, he, well, he's a, from a Berber tribe. The Berbers are uh, a certain people group living in North Africa. Berber! Berber! <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, alright. Different level. This is the episode from another dimension. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, if we were even lazier than we already are. And stupider. Yeah, you know I haven't had any coffee today? Well, that's depressing. Not a cup. Yeah. I might have to make some halfway through. See, if I was in your refrigerator, I could bust out with coffee. You know, I just this this theme, this mm. motif, if you will, yes. keeps popping up of you bursting out of my refrigerator. Uh-huh. But you don't even know where I live. So how is that possible? That's is not it possible? true. 
Is it possible that there's like an interconnection between all refrigerators throughout the entire planet? Like oh my a god! Dimensional warp. You can climb into your refrigerator and just pop out while I'm trying to get a Red Baron frozen pizza out. Yep, that yep, could happen. That's it. We we call that <laughs> fridge speed. <laughs> yeah, it's a conspiracy. Wow. The flat earthers don't want you to believe it. I feel like it definitely could be an interesting conspiracy, or even like one of those S- SCP things. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like no. SCP James D well, travels here's... between refrigerators. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing: Have you ever like late at night wanted that sandwich that you put in the fridge, and you walk over, you open the fridge doors, and the sandwich is nowhere to be seen? No, I've never been married. <laughs> oh well, have you ever lost anything in the refrigerator? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see? That's because I have opened my refrigerator, put my lengthy skeletal arms through the <laughs> dimension of fridges, grabbed the items in your fridge, and then brought them back to my house to gargle down with some <laughs> mead. So, listeners, if you're out there and you've <laughs> you've lost anything in your fridges, it's me. Also... <laughs> It's a similar phenomenon when you lose socks in the washing machine and dryer. It's because I always need more socks. <laughs> and there are there are dimensions connecting those appliances as well. And Hold I, up, though. I Hold steal up. your socks. What? <laughs> you said it made me laugh so hard. You said you, you gargle the items down with a bottle of mead? Don't think about it too much. <laughs> I just wonder what that sounds like is all. It sounds like this. It's pretty gross. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what that's what I use the socks for, is to clean up the mess afterwards. Oh, <laughs> God. If you want them back, I can give them back, but the trust me, you don't want them back. coming together. <laughs> Yeah. Whoa, okay, well... <laughs> Speaking of puzzles, shall we get into Harry Houdini's early life? Let's get into Harry Houdini's early life. Alright. <laughs> so, <laughs> Harry Houdini began his now-terminated lifetime oh. in the mean streets of 1874 Budapest. Oh! Oh. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. He was born to a Jewish family, uh, and his father was actually a rabbi. Hmm. And uh, Houdini was one of seven children. Oh boy! Uh, most of whom had long and happy lives, and one of whom did not. Uh, oh dear! Was it? Was it yeah. Houdini or Harry? No, no, it wasn't. Oh, oh god! Okay. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing: Harry Houdini was not actually named Harry at birth. Hmm. Suspicious. Because he was born bald. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so <clears throat> he wasn't named Houdini either. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. As a child, Houdini was actually I was actually named Eric. I think it's Weiss. Hmm. Weiss. Mm-hmm. Weiss. Whatever. Uh, but we're just going to keep calling him Houdini for clarity's sake, as we usually do. Right, because we're lazy. Yeah. So Hoodle Doodle's family didn't want to stay in Hungary. Uh, Budapest was kind of not amazing. Uh. So uh, what's a Jewish family of Hungarian origin with an unemployed father to do? I'm did I mention that his father answer. was? Did I mention? Yeah. Did I mention that his father was fired from his position as a rabbi there? Ooh, how do you get fired as a rabbi? I have no idea, but he was huh. fired. Okay, <clears throat> bad. So they decide to board a ship and sail to America. Awesome. Because this is how life was back then: born I... in another country, save up and get to America. That's the way to go. Get your ass to the land of liberty, son. <laughs> <laughs> and liberty it is. 
Yes. Were you going to say something in there? No, no, not at all. All right. So Hod Dopper ends up in Appleton, <laughs> Wisconsin. Oh God, <laughs> Wisconsin. Uh, the and he's living on the creatively named Appleton Street in Appleton. <laughs> It's okay, and Appleton just seems like a place that would be apple themed, right? You know, in every way, like a little uh, apple heaven or something. Yeah, like the cars are shaped like apples. I know it's the early or the mid eighteen hundreds, but I don't know. Everything's yeah. app- everyone lives in little apple houses. Well, Appleton's still around today, and there are no apple houses or apple cars. That's because it's a fake Appleton. The real one is buried directly underneath it, and Hold that's up. where the government turns children into Applebees. <laughs> That's why everyone hates Applebee's, because it's made out of Wisconsin children. Oh my god. <laughs> have you been to Appleton? Have I? Life? Yeah, I have been to Appleton. Okay, what's your take? Forgettable. <laughs> Besides I don't the remember. Under, the underground compound, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's boring because it's Wisconsin. Anyway, so Houdinini's family is now doing okay. Okay. Because old daddy-o got a new rabbi job at the Zion Reformed Jewish Congregation. Hmm. So, you know, good for them. Yeah. Well, things are looking good. Well, mad. I can't yeah. speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's all right. You don't have to speak for a podcast. Everybody Thank you. Knows that. <laughs> good. I'll just rub my belly and nod. All right. So... <laughs> The family's finally seen a little hope, because new job, right? Mm, yeah. And they see a little more hope, because in 1882, Dad became an official American citizen. All right. But this was when who Dickery Doc was like eight. Mm. And things are clicking right along. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this new rabbi job, it seems like everything is going to be okay. Jesus Christ, I'm getting all these notifications on my phone. Jesus Christ, I don't care! Sorry. Um, anyway, so they're doing fine. Yeah. Until Papa Smurf gets fired from his new rabbi spot. Oh man, he's that's 0 for 2. Yeah, so I'm not sure what he's doing wrong, uh, <laughs> but it seems like he wasn't doing a great job imparting yeah. ancient wisdom. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of what would make a bad rabbi. Um, Jumping up and reading the New Testament could do it. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I was I was thinking like claiming you had the Ark of the Covenant. Um. Ah, uh, what if? Never mind. I'm not. <laughs> okay, never you're mind. on very thin ice. I here, know. James. Yep. Just keep going, my dude. All right. Okay. So I'm sorry. Adjusting my mic. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay. So the sad result of this job loss is that the family has to move out of Appleton, um, hmm. and go to Milwaukee. Oh. Okay. Uh, where they immediately fall into complete and abject poverty. As everyone does who moves to Milwaukee, yeah. Right. (laughs) Because also, you know, seven kids and no job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's gonna empty the piggy bank real fast. Yeah, so the family struggles and decays there for five long years, with Harry Houdini suffering with Mm. them. But in 1887, Dad takes Who Dog to New York City to start again. (laughs) Who Dog? <laughs> Who dog? Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> All right. I stopped the joke of renaming him after a while because I'm yeah, really, really enjoying it. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm also seven, so uh, just... well. <laughs> so, yeah. so Houdini and his dad go to New York City to try again, and mm-hmm. they live in a boarding house for a while, until Dad Rabbi has found a permanent home. Mm-hmm. At which point, the rest of the family comes along to join up on this new adventure. All right. 
Now, <clears throat> it's 1887. So you know what Houdini Supreme is up to? <laughs> what? That's right, working. Oh, okay, good. As a child. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> the good um, old days. Yeah, but he's also yeah. becoming a great runner. Mm. And a trapeze artist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet, okay. Yeah, and as a teenager, he got some coaching in magic from oh. a guy named Joseph Wren. Mm. Uh, at which point he went on and started a, 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 a magic career of his own. Mm. Okay. But he wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, and most of he did was most of what he did was uh, card tricks, mm. which lack the flair one really needs to I become a fucking hate magician. card tricks. <laughs> How much do you hate card tricks? It's um, it, there's always that douchebag at a party. Okay, He's, yeah, and he, you can spot him from across the room, and he'll. I mean, he of course has those glasses on, and he looks at you through them, and you're like, shit, I need to grab some more punch, but the line's too long, and there's nobody to talk to. And then he waddles his way over, and he's like, hey, hey, do you like card tricks? And you're like, no! No, I don't! He's like, well, let me show you. And then it's something just, oh, it's so boring. Yeah. And it's usually like, they finish, and you're like, Wow. That yeah. was my card. How did yeah. you guess? Oh, you had a trick up your sleeve. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. You yeah. know what? This is actually not a bad analogy for how this Houdini story actually goes. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here we uh. go. Uh, so yeah, he's doing card tricks, and uh, it seemed like he really thought the card trick thing was going to be his bag, because he started calling himself the king of cards. Wow. Which ain't that cool. <laughs> no, no, I'm underwhelmed. <laughs> Very underwhelmed. He's not even Harry Houdini yet. <clears throat> He's just the Harry King of Cards? Yeah, just the oh. King of Cards. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, but the good news is he was dipping his toes into a new and growing magic industry known as escape artistry. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm down. So he starts, at this point he starts... Uh, he starts adopting the Houdini name, which he got from some guy who was his idol who he would later resent. Hmm. Okay. I, I can't remember the whole story exactly. I decided not to write it down because it was decidedly underwhelming. Well, yeah. Um, and, and we all have that figure in our life. For me, it's Bob the Builder. For you, it's Chuck E. Cheese. It's... Yeah. It's just a part of growing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, Harry Houdini starts calling himself Harry Houdini. Hmm. And his brother... Uh, starts calling himself Dash Houdini. Huh. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, he and his brother Dash are running a magic show together called mm -hmm. The Brothers Houdini, which mm. is the most creative name they could come up with. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. And one of these late nights, Dash and Harry Boy are walking away from a great show, laughing and having a hell of a time, when Harry looks up and sees an angel. Ooh. She's dancing and singing in her act called The Floral Sisters. Ooh. And in a slow motion moment, their eyes meet in the shining light of the Coney Island Pier, and fate rests her weary hands from her divine work. Harry steps forward, entranced by this dancing girl. Who is this beautiful gem of a person? I must know her name. Hmm. 
And at that very moment, Dash dashes right in front of Harry and asks her out. Oh, no! <laughs> she says yes. Oh, no. Right in the nuts, lad. Oh, no. That's so yeah. sad. <laughs> so oh. this is this is Wilhelmina Beatrice Rayner, Rahner. You've got something stuck short. in your throat. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bess. Bess for short. Yeah. And yes, Dash courted her first, but Hood Boy married her in the end in 1894. There you go. There you go, Honey. Yeah. What? Houdini. Honey. Honey? Hobie. <laughs> Horny. I don't know. Just keep going. All right. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Yeah, eventually she replaced Dash, or she replaced Dash in the act altogether. So mm. the show went from being the Houdini brothers to the Houdinis Aww. after they got married. So Dash is out. So he. Lost the girl and lost his job and, well, everybody's still friends, but now he's doing something else. Sure, sure. All right. So, uh, Bess and Harry Houdini worked together to develop their act in the mean streets of New York City. Mm. And I lost my spot, so could you mark... So anyway, this married couple uh, are starting to work together to develop their act. Hmm. And one day, Hoondoggle is in Minnesota working on an act in which he escapes from a pair of handcuffs, and he impresses the right dude. Oh, that's it. By the name of Martin Beck, who tells him the following. My boy, focus on your escape acts, because that shit is dope. Hmm. <laughs> huh, okay. <laughs> so Historical who... revisionism, perhaps? <laughs> Aha, you caught me. Aha. I must bow my head in shame. Hmm. Well... All right, you can you can stop because well, okay, just all right, please, please stop for the love of God, please say something. Meow. <laughs> I bet you forgot pickles existed. <laughs> oh, there he is. Ah, yes, that fat ass has been playing video games all week. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yep. Yep. He just got Just Cause 3, not Just Cause 4, he got Just Cause 3, mm -hmm. and he can't stop bitching because the game won't stop hitching. And I told him, you bitch, get hitched, get a life, scratch that itch. Find you're, itch. you're on a different level today. Uh, <laughs> I'm on well, no caffeine right now, which is amazing. That's the thing. I, I think caffeine kind of subdues you. <laughs> that's, I don't know. All right, well. Shall we continue talking about Houdini? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've derailed so many times, it's, like, embarrassing. Mm, All right, yep. so <clears throat> so Hu Ding Dong gets his first big show in <laughs> vaudeville <laughs> and performs some pretty basic escape tricks by comparison to his later shit. Sure. Um, it's basically just escaping from handcuffs and crap like that. Sure. Um, nevertheless, this shit makes him famous almost immediately because, mm. oh, my God, that boy can escape from handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Give him all of our money. Anyway, so it's 1900, and he's touring Europe. Just like that. Wow. Um, and after some initial failures to get performances booked, he goes to Scotland Yard. Oh, okay. And shows his handcuff escape to a bunch of police officers. And I, I, this can go one of two ways. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right, go on. Well, it goes the good way, because they think oh. it's some pretty cool shit. Okay, um, good. <laughs> Everyone else is like, book this man at the biggest theater available. Yeah. So they do. Oh. For six months. Oh, jeez. <laughs> for escaping from a pair of handcuffs. Wow. So I guess he did a pretty good job of it. Uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, huh. And what's weird about his act is that he escapes from the handcuffs by, like, hiding behind a curtain. Hmm. 
and like coming out and, and like struggling with them out in the open and then going behind the curtain again and then coming out and struggling which interesting yeah yeah because um, if you were if you're a viewer you'd have to wonder oh he's just got the keys back there right right like, i'm confused but we'll get to that actually oh okay okay so harry houdini starts making bank in every theater from england to russia wow. just seriously in every town he visited... <laughs> That's better he, than Hitler. Hitler lost in every theater from England to Russia. <laughs> okay. Well done, sir. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. So anyway, in every town that Houdini visited, he had the police shackle him and lock him in a jail cell. Mm. And then he would escape. Wow. <laughs> After a while, people were like, yo, this guy's hiding lockpicks or some shit in his clothes. Right, right, right. Right, and you gotta combat that. You can't have your ma magician's integrity, your magical integrity questioned by a bunch of the hoi polloi. Oh, well, that's true. So it just became like a thing to just strip him and search him before every act to check oh. him for keys. Oh, dear. Which is understandable, but kind of awkward. Like, how far does that search go in 1900? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the swimsuits of the 1900s. And that makes me think the search didn't go, you know, below neck level. <laughs> right. <laughs> but <laughs> they're also into some kinky shit, so I don't know. I, I really yeah, don't. we did read that Victorian romance. Romance. Can't even call it a romance. That sex novel. <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever heard. Jesus Christ. Which fake episode was that? James Becomes a Pancake? I don't There's remember. Something like that, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, anyway. <clears throat> Houdini continues his act by going to Moscow. Hmm. Uh, where he gets in an armored prison transport van oh, that was headed for Siberia. Oh, God. And the thing is, the guy driving the van has no keys. Hmm. So he can't, he can't be, like, sure. kidnapped and robbed for the keys and the prisoners let go or whatever. Right. Uh, it's, so, yeah, yeah, it's either destination, probably, that has the keys. Yeah. 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 Wow. So if Houdini can't get out of the van, he'll have to go all the way to Siberia. Hmm. Yeah. Of course he gets out. Hmm. And we don't know how. Wow. Which is boring. It would be cool if we actually knew why, how he did it. Well, magic, uh, of course. Oh, yes, of course it's magic. Uh, yeah. We'll actually get to actual magic here in a bit, too. Oh! Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, and around this time, some police officer comes up with the brilliant idea that maybe Houdini is bribing people to help him out of his escapes. Sure. And this cop doesn't just come up with this idea. He starts openly accusing Houdini of this exact thing. Hmm. Hmm. To which the Houdini of Babylon responds by <laughs> with by suing said police officer. Wow. And Houdini actually wins this case. Um, hmm. And this he does this by pulling the most bullshit Twilight Zone courtroom thing ever. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. He brings in the judge's safe <laughs> into the courtroom. And breaks in. All like, right. And, and that proves, apparently, to the judge that he can actually do this shit. So the judge is like, all right, he's legit. And <laughs> that's it. He gets off. What? So <laughs> he wins. What? I have so I, many questions. <laughs> I know. But here's the thing. It what? turns out that the judge had simply forgotten to lock his own safe. <laughs> What? Wait. So Houdini actually didn't break into the safe. He just brought it in while it was unlocked, pretended to break in, and the judge was like, this shit's magic, yo. I, I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> like, did he steal the safe? No, because you wouldn't... 
So he asked permission. I guess he did, yeah. But, but nobody checked if it was locked. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I know. All right. So, like, what the fuck that was, I don't know, so... All right, well... A- anyway, so... Justice. <laughs> so, Houdini is, like I said, almost immediately massively wealthy after mm. all these escapes. Yeah. Um, so, he goes on a spending spree. Um, he bought his mother a dress that was made for Queen Victoria and just okay. gave it to her. <laughs> he, like, brought her out in front of all her all the family members in this dress. Jeez. And he was, like, crying with happiness because she was so happy. Okay, well, uh, Mother Mother Day goal. Yeah. Yeah. Mother's Day. Yeah, I, I, none of Day. that was possessive. <laughs> uh, mother, mother Day goal. <laughs> Houdini said that this dress presentation was the happiest moment of his life. Oh, wow. Jeez. And remember, he, he, did, he came from, you know, the hard knock life. This guy was, yeah, know, in poverty for most of his childhood and working and, you hmm. know busting his ass just to keep his family fed and now he can actually take care of them yeah well it it sounds like the hard times really brought their family together instead of splitting them apart because i mean we've covered stories of people at this time period and it seems like it's it either ends one of two ways so i'm i'm happy that his family uh they're doing well yeah kind of yeah (laughs) yeah um so he also buys a massive house in new york city Mm -hmm. uh in harlem actually um Mm. He also starts a magician's magazine, which he basically uses to attack his competitors and puff himself up. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it was basically like, I'm going to debunk all of these other guys, and oh, by the way, buy Houdini products. I am the greatest. And that's what he did. Uh, which is capitalism, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway, we're about to get into the interesting shit, so we're just going to stop here. Okay, fair enough. And I well, want to know what this Batuti guy, or Batuta, whatever. Yeah, it's Batuta, I, I, I believe. Yeah. So, do you want to do you want to take us into Ibn Battuta's early life? Ibn Battuta's early life. Now, all we know about Ibn Battuta's life comes from Ibn Battuta himself. <laughs> also, it's the 1300s for our boy, and pretty much every other author at this time likes to exaggerate. Um, ah. Besides dying, exaggerating your claims is pretty much just what you do in the 1300s. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, so just take everything with a grain of salt, or a large chunk of salt, um, because a, a lot of it may be or may not be exaggerated. Um, most of it's probably not, most of it's probably true, but we don't know, because gotcha. we only have his word to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of the 1300s, what also happens in the 1300s is that the Mongols win! What? No! <laughs> yeah, and those boys will be back in this episode, baby. And as Mongoli as ever. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> I actually don't really talk about them at all, but I wanted an excuse to say that. Alright, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ibn Battuta was born in modern-day Morocco on February 24th, 1304. And was probably of Berber descent, as I said earlier. His family was involved with legal scholarship, and as such, he was pretty well-to-do. As a boy, he probably studied at a Sunni Muslim school of thought uh, growing up, which would have given him probably a decent understanding of the world around him, which is important. Uh, Speaking of the world around him, let's skip forward to when Ibn Battuta is 21 years old. I mean, it's the 1300s. I don't think anybody's keeping track of you until you at least survive 20 years, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, people were dropping like flies at this time, so... Right. 
Yeah. So he's 21 years old. The year is 1325. The time is June. And our boy Ibn Battuta is preparing to go on his Hajj, or holy Islamic pilgrimage, to the city of Mecca. Yeehaw! Now this was no small deal! Right. Uh, Aside from the religious importance of visiting the city of Mohammed, this journey from Morocco to Arabia would take about 16 months there and back again. So, long time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 16 mm -hmm. months. Mm -mm. But for Ibn Battuta, instead of taking only 16 months, he would not return home again for... 24 freaking years! <laughs> oh my god, he, he took yeah. the scenic route. He, he did he stopped at every Burger King on the way. That's true, I mean, you have to. <laughs> Saw the Grand Canyon while he was going there. Yeah, he built the Grand Canyon, alright? Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. So, he, uh, he sets out, and in his own words later on, he says, I set out alone, having neither fellow traveler in whose companionship I might find cheer. Nor caravan whose part I might join, but swayed by an overmastering impulse within me, and a desire long cherished in my bosom to visit these illustrious sanctuaries. Oh so I braced my. my resolution to quit my dear ones, female and male, and forsook my home as birds forsake their nests. My parents being yet in the bonds of life. It weighed sorely upon me to part from them, and both they and I were afflicted with sorrow at this separation. Uh, so he's sad. <laughs> yeah, I picked but, up on that. <laughs> but he's leaving home, and it's gonna be a long time till he returns, and that is where we will leave him for now. I like it. There mm -hmm. wasn't much, but I don't blame you for that, because, well, it's the 1300s. I mean, he survived until 21, that's... <laughs> That's a job well done in the 1300s. It's an accomplishment yeah. in itself. Worth well, singing uh, about. You know what, James? <clears throat> mm -hmm. We're about to move into Harry Hood Noodle's uh, adult life. We are. But I, w I would first like to take this opportunity to recognize a oh. new patron. What the hell? Yep. Well. There's two of them, actually. Wow. Yep. Those fill my loins with applause. Yes. Go on. We would like to say thank you to Helga and Eugene McKingbranda. Mockingbranda. McKean, McKingbranda. McKingbrand. And we Whatever. apologize for Aaron's butchering of your names. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> <laughs> so Helga and Eugene have become $20 patrons, which oh, is wow. wonderful. Wow. Uh, which means they get to pick somebody to appear on the show, which mm -hmm. is awesome. And they have sent me their request, and I am most pleased. Oh boy! Okay, I'm ready. Also, yeah. uh, I, if you have, if you are a patron already, and you have given us monies, and you have requested for us to return the favors, they're coming. Um, we're, what? we're figuring it out. Well, I know I've, I'm talking to one guy on Facebook about it. Um, oh, yeah. So, what are we? What are we missing? Uh oh. No, nothing. He he just requested someone. Oh, um, okay, perfect. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. yeah. So every you are not forgotten. No man or woman left behind. We shall come for you and give you your goods. Well, the thing about being a patron is like anybody can make requests, right? Anybody. Right. right. Oh yeah. But yeah. patrons, if they request it, we have to do it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. except for the big two or the yeah, three. can't do Jesus, can't do Hitler. That's can't do those guys. And, and I'd say Muhammad as well. Those three, we're gonna say we'll, we'll do all at once, combined in a oh, song God. and dance. <laughs> Just go down like the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Oh man. Uh, I was gonna say. Uh, oh yeah. So um, yes, if you make a request as a patron uh, of a certain patron tier, we do it. And the other thing about that I want to say about that is, like, I've gotten a couple requests in the past while, and they're great. The mm. problem is, they're huge! Oh, geez. So, those take a lot more time to follow up on. If somebody requests, like, I don't know, like, fucking Ronald McDonald, you know, oh, I, like, no. I can do that in a day, right? Right, right. But right. if you're requesting someone hugely influential, like an American president or something, yeah, that's a lot of work. Well, that's I mean... a lot of work. We covered Andrew Jackson, who's not even a real famous... He's kind of an infamous, but not that all talked about. And it took us three episodes on just him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Not saying we w- won't do it. He but... was a request, too, for what it's worth. Oh, for sure, yeah. And we and yeah. we did it. We... Yeah. That's yeah. true marketing. We're, we're amazing. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Helga and Eugene. You are, yes. Your contribution has helped us... You are the breathe. wind beneath my wings. And for those of you who are listening, who are thinking of becoming patrons, uh, do. <laughs> Short but simple. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> shall we move into Harry Houdini's adult life? Wah. What? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> Just speaking out of my butthole. All right. Jesus Christ. Okay, so Harry Houdini's adult life. Mm-hmm. So when we left Harry Houdini, he was making lots of money breaking out of things. Mm. And at this point, he was still doing the handcuff act. Oh, yes. Um, And then he was confronted with the ultimate challenge. Oh, dear. Uh, a special set of handcuffs designed by a locksmith. Oh, yeah. See, this is this is where things get real. Yeah. So, uh, Houdini was given this special set. He was like, I can break out of these. And they, mm. like, if you go look at the picture, there's, it, there's like, it's like one of those Rubik's cubes that's not a cube. It's more like a dodecahedron or whatever the oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. That's what these handcuffs look like. And he's okay. like, I can do it. So, he gets his photograph with the locksmith or whatever. And then he goes to do it on the show. Mm-hmm. And he stands out there for like an hour just fiddling with these things right in front of everybody. It's so boring. And then he... I know! <laughs> an hour. An just, hour! And do, you, do you make eye contact with the crowd? Do you look at your feet like, what? What do you do? I don't know. Maybe he was like a really good entertainer and like kept a running commentary. He's like, this is what marriage the feels Vietnam like. The Vietnam right? War began in 19... 19- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably right. just... just reads about dead people or something mm. so anyway um he works on this for like an hour and then at last he's like oh god i can't do this so he goes back behind his curtain where he's gone for like another 30 minutes behind the curtain who is sitting in this theater <laughs> apparently a starstruck enraptured audience who are like listening to these rattling chains and the muttered swearing of <laughs> Rattle, rattle, rattle. Fuck! Yeah, <laughs> yeah pay no attention to the keys and wire cutters I have behind the curtain. <laughs> right, exactly! Like, but then what he comes, the hell? Yeah, then he comes back out, and he's still not gotten out of them. Oh, wow, okay. 
and he's like breaking down. Um, I can't oh. remember. I read, I think I read that he was like crying or something. Oh, jeez. Um, which, I mean, again, you're trapped in handcuffs that are unbreakable or whatever. But, then... I mean, I cry when I can't get my socks on, so it's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> so his wife, Bess, comes out of the crowd and just starts making out with him on the stage. No. Wait, really? <laughs> Yeah, kinda. She gives him a kiss, a big, oh. long, luscious okay. kiss of some sure. kind. Which make people go, did she just spit a key? <laughs> Dude, Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> this is bullcrap. So after she kisses him, he goes back behind <laughs> the curtain. <laughs> what a scam! <laughs> and then he comes out, and lo and behold, oh. he's free. Oh my god! <laughs> now, here's the part you're not gonna like, okay? Oh no. The key to unlock these handcuffs was six inches long! <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no! <laughs> no! <laughs> no! No, 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 no! Oh! <laughs> oh, girls! Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh. Wow, okay. So he was, he and his wife were skilled in other things. I was going to say, there's escaping. two ways this could be. There are people who are skeptics who are like, there's people who are skeptics who are nine years old and have never been on the internet who go, there's no way she could fit a six-inch key in her mouth, and there's no way he could fit a six-inch key in his mouth. Mm. And they go, that's why it didn't happen that way. And I'm just sitting there going, ah-ha! No! So he reported that this It's was just the six inches thing that does it. Like, I, I didn't... Ah. <laughs> So, I'm not suggesting anything, but okay. <laughs> that's what the skeptic's case is. They, she couldn't possibly fit the six-inch key in her gullet. So, there. Um, yeah, I can see that. But anyway, so and that's I guess that's feasible. It might have been a really complex key, too. I don't fucking know. Right. There was another part where she gave him a glass of water or something, and they were like, oh, okay. oh maybe she hid the key in a glass of water. And it's like, right. you know, it's not going to fit in there. Like, what the fuck? And it's, everyone will see hmm. it. It's interesting that they have the key, though, and the locksmith doesn't. Like, if I was a locksmith, I'd want to be there with the key to, you know, proclaim victory over Houdini if he... I don't know. It's uh, I That's don't know true. The... I, I actually don't know who had possession of the, the key or if the locksmith was even there. Sure. But anyway, so that's how that trick went. <laughs> God, and don't... after that, he said it was the hardest thing he had to do or something like that. Like, it was the most difficult escape mm. he ever had. Um, sure. So anyway, <clears throat> he was. <clears throat> Sorry. So mm -hmm. after this, like, ultimate challenge of handcuff escapery, mm -hmm. um, he uh, he decides to leave it behind in 1908 because there were other people who had figured out like how to escape from handcuffs really easily, uh, imitators, if you will, who were making money off of the act. Hmm. Um, and he didn't want to just be that guy who escapes from handcuffs, right? Sure, yeah. So he expands his repertoire. All right. Uh, starting with the famous milk can escape. Mm, okay. 
Which is horrible for me, horrible for you, and horrible for Houdini to do. What is it? Well, <clears throat> it's a milk can escape. So, back in the day, milk was stored in cans. Like, my mom has one in her living room. It's like a decoration piece. But they're like, they're metal pots with sealed tops. All right. Um, and at least the one my mom has is way too small for a person to fit inside, unless they were like a hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Houdini... So maybe like a, a barrel, maybe? Yeah, like that. Sure. But Houdini has a solution. Uh. He gets a bigger one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> creative so he gets a slightly bigger milk can and starts advertising his new act basically saying that um oh yeah one other thing so here's how the trick works all right Uh houdini climbs inside this metal can right it's sealed off with an airtight cap oh god that's then padlocked um oh i forgot to mention they fill it with fucking water too oh jeez so you're trapped in this tiny little space, mm-hmm. submerged, can't breathe, and you're locked in with padlocks. Oh, God. Don't try to imagine it. It'll drive you nuts. Yeah, I'm already getting claustrophobic. I mean, yeah. I am in a closet. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so he markets this this trick by saying, okay, so here's the deal. You're either going to see me miraculously emerge from a milk can or you're gonna watch me drown on stage that'll get people in the rows uh yep <laughs> yep so, yeah yeah um it, it, watching somebody die makes for great entertainment apparently mm, mm-hmm. um so it yeah. works like this all right <clears throat> houdini is chained up first forgot to mention that they chain mm. him up mm-hmm. sometimes with a straight jacket uh and they lock him inside of the milk can which was then filled with water and he escapes. And that's the plan. So Houdini invited the audience actually to hold their breaths with him as he got into the milk can. And oh, the top wow. was sealed. Um, yeah. Oh, God. But then the fun part happens. Okay. Uh-huh. A curtain drops in front of the can. Oh, come on! <laughs> Everyone waits for a while. The curtain raises up and bam! Houdini is dripping wet outside the can. Okay. Um. I buy it. <laughs> Good luck for me. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, magic, obviously. Right, right. But I did, I did, in in the in the uh, in the interest of actually figuring out how the fuck this was done, I did go and look up that show. What's it called? It's like, it's the one with the magician, and he wears the mask like an executioner, and he like performs all these famous magic tricks, and then shows you how they're done. You ever oh seen yeah, that show. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I haven't. I'm lying. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, I I, I don't know. but the, So the magician is basically masked, so the magician showing you how to do the trick doesn't get, like, in trouble for giving away the secret. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he he or she, it swaps out whoever mm-hmm. is the ma- magician or whatever. And anyway, so I watched the guy, uh, this guy do this trick, the milk can escape, and basically it's insultingly, stupidly simple if this is how Houdini did it. Really? Yeah. So, okay. basically, he climbs into the water, they seal it off with the padlocks and everything. All right, right. All right, so the cap the cap is locked to the top of the mm. milk can, right? Mm-hmm. And padlocked and everything. And then they drop the curtain. Right. And all he does is push up on the cap, and the padlocks stay in place. Sure. But they hold together a false top on the milk can that slips over the real top. Mm-hmm. And it all comes off as one piece, and he just climbs out. Oh my god! Okay, that's, well, 
<laughs> I don't know what I expected. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm guessing the, the poll was that it, it either happened really fast or happened really slow. Mm -hmm. Like, if he was under there for longer, then more people could hold their breath. Like, the curtain sure. was still down, and the staff started panicking. Oh, my God, he's still in there. Get the axe, you know? Right, Get the right. keys. All that shit. Um, yeah. And, you know, then he just, like, miraculously busts out of the curtain, like, I did it! I'm dripping wet! You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's all showmanship, but that's, like, the point, so whatever. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be a lot of actors in on this. Like, y you need... Yeah, you need the staff freaking out. You need people in the crowd... Uh, just like, oh my god, he really did it. Um, yeah. It, it's a, a whole show, it seems like. Yeah, there's more to the show than just what's on stage, that is for mm -hmm. sure. Like us, like us, we have a whole host of staff willing <laughs> and ready to help us. Um, that's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah, our only staff is Pickles, and all he does is play Candy Crush in the corner. The only so. staff I have is a staff infection in my oh, ear, god and that's just... Yeah. Okay, so the milk can trick um, mm. was later modified um, when it became boring because people right. were like, anybody can escape from a milk can now, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So he put the milk can in a box mm. and then put the box in chains and padlock. Uh-huh. They all have removable tops that just uh, popped off. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Okay, right. so, but even that got boring at a certain point. It's like, yeah. all right, buddy, anybody can escape from a box now. Uh-huh. So he comes up with his new trick. This is a mm. trick called the Chinese water torture cell. Oh, I've heard of this. I, I've <laughs> yeah. heard of this. And this was pretty routine for Houdini. Okay, so <laughs> here's how it works. All right, mm. try, just try to envision it and or do it at home. All right. All right, got my eyes closed. Yeah, right. All right, so, so first, <clears throat> he was suspended upside down from a set of foot stocks. Mm-hmm, just a normal day in my life. Yeah, Go ahead. which of course... <laughs> you just wake up every morning hanging from the ceiling. God yep. damn it! <laughs> yep, like a possum. You got it. Um, yeah, so of course they lock these stocks, so his feet are stuck and he's hanging upside down. Uh-huh. Then he's lowered into a tank with a glass front, so you can see him in there. Right. Right, and then he escapes right before your very eyes. Okay, now this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I so forgot to mention. I forgot okay. to mention. They drop a curtain in front no! of us. No, no curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So All right. <laughs> yeah. So was it magic? Probably not. Uh, was it clever trickery and specially constructed escape devices? Probably. Yeah. Uh, he was an illusionist and a showman after all, not a sorcerer. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of just thinking thinking of this as sort of a, a circus act. Like, he's still in a dangerous position, and it's yeah. still interesting to see people in dangerous situations, even if you know deep down inside there's no real danger. Um, I mean, I won't say that completely because I know how Houdini dies. But, you know what I, I mean, kind of just like this, oh, wow, he's upside down in a pool, wow. Well, <clears throat> and even if you know it's a fake, like it's an illusion, your brain still like almost wants to believe it's real. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Your brain goes, Dah, he was in the milk can and now he's not in the milk can. What the? Whoa. And you're like, okay, brain, fine. Like there's probably some way out of it. But you, but that rational side of you is like boring. It's like, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe yeah. in magic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the dumbass side of your brain wins. It's great. <laughs> I know. Um. <clears throat> So, uh, anyway, so he does this other classic trick where he's suspended upside down from a crane out on a public streets, uh, in a straight jacket. Hmm. 
Which is always fun. Right, right. Um, and he actually just escapes. I don't actually... I couldn't... There was video... There's video in the Federal Archives uh, oh, of wow. him doing this. Video, film. There's film strips in the Federal Archives sure. of him making this escape. But since they're film and they have been transferred to digital, I couldn't find them to watch them to see how it was done. Uh, so I assume he just gets out of the straight jacket and then just, like, I don't know, climbs up the chain or undoes the chains and flips down. Lands or just feet. floats down like a leaf. Yeah, just... He gets out of the straight jacket and the shackles come undone and he just... Do, 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 do. And then he lands on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I mean, what else is there? Okay. So there or are a giant of... curtain falls over the whole crane. <laughs> the whole city. Yeah. <laughs> yep. anyway, so there are stories also of him hanging upside down in this act, trying to escape, and the wind got so bad, he was blown into nearby buildings like a wayward yo-yo. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> well, like, that's entertainment! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Yeah. He crashed right into the wall, and he's just like, oh, shit! Yeah. All right. <laughs> so then there was the overboard box escape, where mm. Houdini was chained up, mm-hmm. nailed inside a packing crate, weighed down with 200 pounds of lead, and lowered into the water. Huh. And he gets out. We don't uh. know how, but it was underwater and concealed, so... I, uh, there was, yeah, concealed. There was a curtain. <laughs> yep. And, yeah, being underwater is, it adds to the complication. So, <clears throat> okay, here's a legit one, though, all right? Sure. All right, so in 1915, Houdini decided that he wanted to beat being buried alive. Sure. Uh, And and the trick was pretty simple. You know, they just threw Houdini in a hole and buried him alive six feet under. Right. Uh Oh, and I'm sure you were imagining that he was in a casket. I was. He was not in a casket. No. He was in a curtain. He was just... Yeah. They just rolled him up in a curtain. (laughs) (laughs) No, they just threw him naked and afraid into the hole and started throwing, like, dirt on top of him. College yeah. flashbacks. Okay. <laughs> okay, he wasn't naked, but you know what I mean. So Sure. All right. Well. Um So the first time he performed this trick, it nearly killed him. Oh, because okay. he legit was trying to dig his way out. Oh. Like from being buried under. And he panicked about halfway up because he couldn't fucking breathe. Jeez, yeah. Um and he was exhausted and he started screaming for help. Oh god. But it seems like no one heard him. Oh. He kept digging and finally got one hand out of the grave where he went unconscious. Oh, God. And his assistants quickly yanked him out of there. Um, he survived, but damn. <laughs> That's a thing of nightmares. Oh. Yeah. He did it to himself, though. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. If all of your acts thus far have just been a big scam, why would you think that an actual trick of escaping would, would be like your next step in this whole... Uh, this whole job, like, <laughs> but my darling, my darling, that's show business. Oh God, okay. he could have faked almost not making it. That's true. That's yeah. true. All right. Um, he could have had a contraption in place that helped him get out, and then he just faked it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. got the assistants all riled up. Oh my God, I can't get out. And true. you know, they're like, "What do we do? Do we stick our metal shovels in there and possibly kill him?" You know, we don't know. Right, um, right. But yeah, so it's like the illusion of of uh, here of of being a near failure. Yeah. Hmm. It is interesting. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Um, Houdini also made an elephant disappear, but that's easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways you can do it, um, but the way he did it, 
I, I actually couldn't. It was the it ivory trade, wasn't it? Oh, James. Oh, I know. I, I am so sorry. I love that. <laughs> so anyway. Oh. Oh, I mean, ironically enough, he might have been rescuing an elephant from the ivory trade by oh. giving it a job as a performing elephant. That's, yeah, very good. Mm, mm, until it got too old, but anyway. All right, yeah. so then he went on to serve as the president of the Society of American Magicians, mm, oh which still exists today. It's known as Congress, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make the government disappear. <laughs> <laughs> too real. And we're still going to get paid. So anyways, <clears throat> but not the employees. No, sir. Mm. Uh, okay, so anyway, this still exists today, the Society of American uh, Magicians, and nice. it's the largest magic society around. Mm, all right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Houdini also had a movie career, go figure. Sure. Um, but many of his films were lost because film back then was hyper flammable. Oh. Um, it's interesting to note, I learned this in film school, um, mm. that there's a whole goddamn lost archive of films oh. due to fires and whatnot because, like, they're just so fucking flammable. Oh, jeez. Um, only about 10% of silent movies from back in the day, when films were literally spicier, still exist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everything else is considered what's called a lost film. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, kind of creepy, too. It's like, what yeah. were they filming? <laughs> <laughs> Probably more curtains. <laughs> okay. Oh, but here's the, here's an interesting thing, okay? One of Houdini's mm. films was recently rediscovered. There were, like, oh, nice. two copies left, and one uh, movie collector had it, or magician who was collecting... I can't remember what it was. Sure, um, someone. Anyway, so he, he agreed to have it, like, digitally remastered and re-released in 2015. Yeah. Um, after nearly a hundred years of being lost, and it was featured at a pretty big film festival as the the star attraction, so to speak. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. So anyway, <clears throat> Houdini also bought a plane and crashed it immediately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he took it to Australia and became the first person to fly a plane, a motorized plane anyway, in Australia. Oh, cool. Except not really. <laughs> there were many okay. people who had flown powered aircraft in Australia before. But sort of like Charles Lindbergh, it didn't really matter because it was Houdini who made the claim. We think of Charles Lindbergh as having the first transatlantic flight, but he wasn't technically. Why is those two? There were those what? two guys who crashed in a swamp, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was the other guys who actually did it, and their plane froze up on the way there and everything. Mm. Yeah, those that's right. Guys? I gotta, yeah. I, I can't remember. Two guys. But anyway, so like Charles Lindbergh had the name. He did the mm. thing. He had the plane. He had all the icons. So that's how we remember him. Hmm. Which yeah, is, so... Go well, ahead. go ahead. Go, no, sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted. It's rude. What? <laughs> no, I, I want to hear your input too, James. Well, I was thinking once we have maybe a thousand followers, I say we go to uh, Australia and we become the first people to ever drive a car in Australia. <laughs> what I do think you say? we might be a little bit behind there, man. That's a lie. That's, <laughs> That's a, a damn lie. faced lie. <laughs> we'll be the first ones. Don't worry about it. All right. Okay. So anyway, uh, yeah. In the 20s, Houdini worked on debunking fake psychis, uh, psychics and spiritualists. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he was like, all right, I know this is all illusion. You know, I'm playing yeah. this game, right? Like, but you guys are actually pretending to be fucking magicians, and that ain't real. So right, right. Um, he started attending spiritualist shows and seances and all that shit, like in disguise with reporters <laughs> and police officers. Oh man! Uh, he exposed a man who claimed to have X-ray eyes, which is cool. Um, mm. 
x-ray eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy was literally just peeking out of his blindfold. <laughs> a little curtain. So Houdini also did this thing with his wife mm-hmm. uh, where they vowed that when either one of them died, they would communicate a secret code to one another from beyond the grave in order to test if the dead could really talk to the living. Oh, interesting. And it was the, they would just like whisper to the other their name of their favorite song. Yeah. Um, and for 10 years, she, like, would allow spiritualists, after Houdini's death, she would allow spiritualists and psychics and whatever to try and prove to her that they were talking to Houdini. Yeah. And only one guy ever got the code word right, but it was oh. suspected that he had basically deduced it from, you know, the fact that, like, I don't know, it played at their wedding or something. Sure, I don't know. sure. Yeah. Um, but she did it for 10 years, and then at the 10th year, she sort of snuffed the candle out, so to speak, and said, 10 years is long enough for any man. Right. <laughs> she, she gave up on it. Oh, that's um, sad. But anyway, speaking of Houdini's death, this is where we're going to leave him until we come back to his end and death. Okay, wow. Yeah. That is some mashed potatoes, if I've ever seen them. Yeah, baby. So, too bad we can't have, like, an auditory version of a curtain. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Exactly. And then just you can hide all our bullshit. Oh, shit! I just realized I put up a new blanket in my closet. That's basically a curtain! All right. Oh, my God. We've got a curtain. We've come full circle. Yeah. Uh, well, I really have to use the bathroom. Um, so, okay. can we can we take a little breaksy doodle Yeah, let's take a little breaksy doodle let's, let's hit pause. All right, I'm hitting... So, James, take it away. I'm just going to play Candy Crush here on my phone. Perfect. And, uh, I So, here's the thing. is I am I'm sitting in your brother's closet again. The one, uh-huh. the very one, where I so disgustingly sweated through the carpet. Yeah, um, we all remember you that. You all remember that. Here, But here's the thing. There, it, it's a closet, so I'm sitting on the ground. And my legs, well, I, they've just fallen asleep. I can't feel them. The way I'm sitting. I feel like FDR. Um, just not able to feel your legs. Wow. I also have great depression. <laughs> <laughs> you have a healthy depression. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, Ibn Battuta. Yeah, let's go to Ibn Battuta's adult life. And right. we're going to take it away while I drink my coffee. Mm-hmm. Drink your coffee. But be ready. There's going to be a little more interaction in this than you probably desire. <laughs> Okay. Yep. So here's the thing. Ibn Battuta just travels all over the place. Seriously, like, the guy goes everywhere. And he recorded all of his journeys and adventures in a little book that he later wrote called A Gift to Those Who Contemplate the Wonders of Cities and the Marvels of Traveling. Uh, Good name. I've actually read some of this book, uh, and it's actually pretty interesting if you're interested in the geography and the cultures of the 1300s. Mm. But here's the problem. Uh Uh-oh. First of all, most people don't give a shit about the 1300s. That's true. Secondly, uh, taking all of his travels and condensing them into a short summary makes the whole narrative super boring! Oh my god! Yeah. So, uh, this is actually going to be incredibly boring for most people. Okay. However! <laughs> okay. 
I have taken this opportunity to make a slight adjustment to the history lab. Oh no. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, and my good boy, Aaron C. It's time to press the mysterious button I had installed! What? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, girls and boys and Aaron. Welcome to... Ibn Battuta and the minutia of his travels to not Tortuga nor Chattanooga. The game! (laughs) That's right, that's right. We've got another game. So if you recall, way back to our episode on Caligula, we had a game show segment called Candid Questions About Caligula. Uh, this game is a, is a bit different. Uh, it's gonna feel probably more like a Dungeon and Dragons podcast episode, uh, with me as the Dungeon Master, of course. Oh, God. Uh, basically, we're gonna be following along in Batuta's travels, go where he goes, see what he sees, and there will be questions and quizzes and trials along the way. And you, Aaron, must answer these trials... In order to win points! Points, points, points! Again? (laughs) And what are these points for? James, I hate these games, and you know it. Oh, this is different, though. This is different. Just hold on to your bootstraps. What are the prizes? Do I win anything for this shit? Yes, yes. There there are ten trials. Each trial has the possibility for you to win ten points. The points thus add up to 100. And depending on how many points you earn, you will earn a title for the Expanse of Eternity. So do not take this lightly. I'm not... Just carry on. But here's the thing! Oh, shit. In my divine wisdom, I thought to myself, James, you look like a crockpot. But also, why not make this game playable for every listener listening to our show? Are you kidding me? So, listeners, you too can and should play along. You can answer the questions and trials along with Aaron, but you'll have to keep track of your points yourself because I am not there with you to help with that. Oh, wait! Yes, I am! I even made a handy handout for you listeners to help keep track of your own points! (laughs) Wahoo-hoo-hoo! How? I I will post this document on our Facebook and Twitter pages on the morning that this episode releases. Feel free to print this out wherever you are, at work, at home, at school, at church, and use it to help keep track of your own points. Got it? Yeah, got it. Okay, alright. So with that, let's get on to Ibn Battuta and the minutia of his travels to not Tortuga nor Chattanooga. The game! <laughs> Aaron, are you ready? I'm ready, bring it on. Alright, listeners, are you ready? Yes! Okay, good, excellent. (laughs) So, if you remember, Ibn Battuta was going on the holy pilgrimage to Mecca. He traveled from Morocco to Tunis in Tunisia, and from there he went along the North African coast until he arrived in Egypt. Also, he got married along the way, so there's that. Nice. 
While in Alexandria, Batuta met two wise men who prophesied that he would travel to India and China. Oh. First trial. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? Okay, so for listeners, listeners, it's going to be a little tricky. I'm not there to judge you, so you're going to have to do these trials yourself to the nearest person in the room, regardless of whether or not you know them, all right? Okay. Uh, Aaron, I'm your judge, okay? As uh, as always, but especially always. now. Yeah, all right. Okay, so Aaron and listeners, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is for 10 big points. This is trial okay. number one. Aaron, listeners, you've got 10 seconds to convince me to go on a worldwide trip with you. Go! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. There's lots of money five, in other countries. You four, can get spices and sell three, them. Elsewhere for a maximum profit. One. Perfect. All right. I'm convinced. Let's go. You win 10 points in this (laughs) number one trial. Listeners, I don't know how you did, but ask the nearest person uh, whether or not you passed that test. And if you did pass that test, you can pull out that handy handout that I, I posted on social media platforms and mark down on the number one spot 10 points. And again, those will add up for a grand prize in the end. But for now, let's get on to Ibn Battuta's life. Uh. After Cairo and Egypt, Ibn Battuta tried to get to Arabia by crossing the Red Sea, but was forced back by a local rebellion. So instead, he went up to Damascus in Syria and visited Jerusalem and Bethlehem along the way. Yada, yada, yada. He spent the holy month of Ramadan in Damascus and then joined a trade caravan to the holy city of Medina in Arabia and then on to Mecca to complete his holy pilgrimage. But instead of going home, Ibn Battuta decided to keep on traveling while he was out and about because, again, that's all he does. So he decides to head east into Mongol-controlled lands. Are you with me? Are, are you... I know this can be boring. Are you, are you still do, with me? Do, do the Mongols win? The Mo- <laughs> you and the Mongols win! <laughs> Speaking of winning or losing, we're on to trial number two! Uh-oh. All right, all right, all right. So, listeners, again, you're going to need someone with you uh, because I can't hear you. I can hear your prayers, but not your trial answers. You can also so. judge yourself. I mean... I do that every day. <laughs> no, that's true. You can judge yourself hey, if you really want to. Real quick, before we get to the second trial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I took a, a personality exam called oh, an no. SOI. Oh, no. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it is. It's basically like the predictive index that I mentioned on an earlier episode. Oh, yeah. It tells you, like, what you really like. Okay, but this one included a, a number rating. Oh, shit. <laughs> for how hard you were being on yourself oh, during no. the the analysis uh-huh. and i maxed out the number <laughs> <laughs> so you can judge yourself oh, then this quiz should not help your uh your situation uh, this podcast shouldn't help your situation you got over no <laughs> that's oh boy okay okay all right trial all right trial number two listeners turn to the person next to you aaron repeat to me You have 20 seconds to tell me a scary ghost story about the desert, and you have to scare me in order to win those sexy 10 points. Go! 20. Oh, shit. Uh, Okay, so there was a... There was a... 
a traveler who was in the desert and he was a merchant and all that shit. And then one day he was walking out by the oasis that he usually stopped at and he saw the ghost of a donkey. And the donkey turned to him and said, Why dost thou strike me? For I am only a speaking ass. And that was it. Oh, God. Well, that... Okay, I'm in shivers. You win ten points, sir. That is... Jeez. Okay. Talking asses. Am I taking it too seriously? <laughs> no, this is this is perfect. I mean, this is... I, I don't think you know... I, I, I'm i not giving away the titles you're trying to earn for the rest of eternity. But I, I have them here. Um, oh. And the points you win or the points you do not win will decide your title forever. Okay? Okay. So you... Trust me, you want the points. <laughs> the The lower end point titles are not good titles to have, Okay. So, oh, okay. you you need to do your best. And listeners out there, if you're 0 for 2 right now, sit up, take a smoke, like, get your life together, man. Or, <laughs> so, okay. So, here we go. We're, we're back All to right. Ibn Battuta. All right. So, he's completed the holy pilgrimage in Mecca. And he decides to join a caravan that crossed the Arabian Desert and eventually makes it to the important city of Baghdad. Uh, then he goes south along the Mesop- Mesopotamian plains and then heads over the Zagros Mountains into modern-day Iran. He visited the important cities of Isfahan and Shiraz and then returned to Baghdad again in 1327. Again, he's this a world isn't... traveler. Yeah, it is. he's a world traveler and he writes about these places, but boring as hell if you don't actually read his book. So, yeah. So well, after this, don't listen to our podcast. Go read the book. Well, that's the, that's the motto of our show. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's in Baghdad, and then he notices that a Mongol army was leaving the city to go on campaign. So he travels along with it for a bit, but then veers off to visit some towns in modern-day Turkey and Syria. And near one mountain, Ibn Battuta meets a Kurdish mystic who gives him some silver coins. Because why the fuck wouldn't he? trial number three oh shit Uh uh-huh and this is a different form if you were given silver coins by a kurdish mystic what would you do with them and you have three answers number one would you take the coins and betray christ number two would you (laughs) use only one of the coins to buy all of alabama or number three would you bury the coins bury the coins? Correct! You bury (laughs) the coins! Because then you have actual wealth stored up, and not some fiat bullshit that the government is hand-feeding you! Uh, okay. (laughs) You win ten points, sir. Ten pointerinos. And listeners, listeners, that was the correct answer. If you did not get it right, do not give yourself ten points. That is the penalty. All right. All right. Uh, so that that question actually had nothing to do with the story because I have no idea what Ibn Battuta did with the, the money that he was given. Oh. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is that he joined a caravan to go back to Mecca, where he later arrived exhausted and sick with diarrhea. Oh shit! Which I mean, are details? Yeah. yeah, we didn't need to know, but we know. So he th- this completed his second holy pilgrimage to the holy city. And then he joined a trade boat and headed to Yemen, where he visited a couple of flourishing cities and met some important people before sailing on to Somalia. He visited How a couple. How old is this guy? He's pretty young at this point. Well, he started the the pilgrimage at 21, um, and this is within the next 
three or four years, I think. So he's mid-twenties. He's... Yeah, oh, God, that's depressing. He's as old as us. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going all these places. Yeah, he's gone over... Yeah, okay. Well, Al. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. And we're just a couple of idiots sitting in closets. <laughs> sitting in our own filth in closets. <laughs> yeah. At least there's no Burger King burritos, though, today. Mm, I mean, if I really wanted some remnants, I could pick through this carpet, but... Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay oh. for now. I'm okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, Ibn right. Battuta's in Somalia, and he visits okay. a couple Somalian towns before eventually arriving to the important city of Mogadishu, which you'll remember if you've seen Black Hawk Down. Uh... At that time, at that time, though, Mogadishu was actually a growing economic powerhouse, which is which Whoa. is interesting, yeah. And uh, and much of what we know about medieval Somalia comes from Batuta's travels, but he keeps on going because that's all that this guy does. So he sails yeah. down the Swahili coast and visited Mombasa and Tanzania, and was very impressed by the architecture of the cities and the mosques down there. And he writes all about it. Then he sailed back to Oman and then Arabia and then performed a third holy pilgrimage back to Mecca. So, very religious dude, very, which is which is pretty cool. Um, but what's not cool is that it's time for question number four! Uh-oh. Are you Uh-oh. ready? Uh-oh. Okay. All right, you got multiple answers for this one again. So. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one interesting thing about Ibn Battuta is that he really, really did not like the Greeks. Uh, in fact, he <laughs> he often referred to them with various racial slurs. Um, oh! Yeah. Which of the following was one of Ibn Battuta's favorite slurs to use against the Greeks? Oh, no! Number one, did he call them Persian killers? Number oh. two, did he call them the armpit hairs of Europe? <laughs> Number three, did he call them swine eaters? Or number oh. four, did he call them the spawn of Satan? Oh my god. Listeners, pick your answer. Oh shit. Damn it, you gave me a hard one this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the first one again? Persian killers, armpit hairs of Europe, swine eaters, or the spawn of Satan. Oh god. I'm gonna have to say swine eaters. Correct! He called them oh. swine eaters! That's another 10 points for you, sir. Another huh? pen, 10 points, indeed. Um, oh my yeah, God. the other okay. three racial slurs are slurs that I use against the Greeks, but I, I put them in there for, for a little competition. Oh yep. So, uh, back to Ibn Battuta. He goes off again, he crosses the Red Sea back into Egypt travels along the Levant into modern-day Turkey, and he visits a ton of different towns here in what they called Anatolia. But the narrative gets a bit confused here. Uh, We don't really know which towns he visited or in what order. Uh, It's kind Mm. of confused. Then he claims that he took a ship across the Black Sea into the Crimean Peninsula and into southern Russia and the Ukraine. He recorded that north of here wasn't really worth going to because there was snow on the ground, like, all the time, and the locals <laughs> in the far north would hide and not show themselves to anybody. So uh, he had no intention to travel further into this land of cold darkness. Well, I can't say I blame him. Trial number five! Oh, God. Quick, make a four-line poem about fur-wearing Russians hiding in the snowy darkness. And it must rhyme. Go! Uh. 
Wait, how many lines? Four lines must rhyme about the Russians hiding in snowy darkness. You've got 15 seconds. 15. The Russians hide in snowy darkness. There's nothing there but ugly Clarkness. The Russians are winning the war with themselves, for they have hidden all of the elves. Ooh, that was right on the buzzer. Um... I'm going to give you five points. Five points. Yeah. Oh, come on. Five points for on the buzzer. It's, hmm, yeah. No, I get the full ten. Come on. All right, just because you're cute, I'll give you the full ten points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So, listeners, I hope you're keeping track of your points. Um, Yeah, we're, we're making it through this. Okay. Right. So, back to the traveling. Anyway, Ibn Battuta may never have actually traveled into the Russian lands. Uh, Most historians think he kind of added this based on what other travelers said and then took the credit for himself. But either way, his records are still important to our understanding uh, of the time because, you know, he has some recollection of Russia at the time, even if he didn't do it. Anyway, then he went on to Constantinople and visited the great church of the Hagia Sophia, talked with some Orthodox priests about Bethlehem, like you do when you're there. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's a pretty controversial point between uh, Orthodox priests and a Muslim traveler. True, and and Ibn Battuta has actually been to Bethlehem, so, you know. That's right. Stuff to talk about, yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, well, then he shoots all the way over past the Caspian and Aral Seas to the city of Samarkand, which is in modern-day Uzbekistan. And okay. So he just shoots across all of Turkey and Anatolia, blah, 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 blah. Pew! Yeah, basically, out of a cannon. <laughs> and here in Samarkand, he meets a Mongolian king. Uh, no big deal, though. Blah, blah, blah. Moving on. Then he went through Afghanistan and into India. Uh, he crossed the Hindu Kush mountains and reached the Indus River in 1333. Then he went to the city of Delhi and met with the Islamic Sultan of Delhi at the time. And, uh, he was actually made a judge by the Sultan, an Islamic judge, because the, uh, Sultan was having a hard time, um, establishing Islamic rules over India. So he's like, hey, What does that actually is... mean, though, as a judge? Is he, like, a judge in a court of law or a I th- biblical judge? I think he's kind of a court of law law judge, just to go through the land, uphold Islamic rules and traditions, oh, gotcha. which was problematic because most of India, especially rural India, was still Hindu. Um, right. So there was a big controversy here. Um, yeah. So speaking of big controversy, we're on to trial number six. Oh God. Okay. You, let's do it. Here we go. Listeners, Aaron, you have five seconds, five oh, seconds <laughs> to think of three words that rhyme with the word King. Go. Five, Ding, wing, ring. Four. Oh, wow. Shit. Wow. You're good. <laughs> That's 10 points. That's 10 points for turning. <laughs> These are hard-won points. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so next, Ibn Battuta. He travels further into modern-day Pakistan and India, and he was impressed by the Hindu architecture and cities. Okay, well, hold up. Hold up. Mm -hmm. He's an Islamic judge, but he's, like, seeing some value in the religious architecture? Is that correct? Yes, that is is absolutely correct. And uh, I'll cover this a little bit later when we talk about his legacy and his end in death, is that... This is the 1300s. This is not the time where people are impressed by other cultures and other religions. And uh, 
it's pretty amazing that Ibn Battuta was mature enough, really, to be like, you know what? This is pretty amazing, even if they're not Muslims. And I think he, the amount of travel you do yes. heavily influences that. Yeah, oh, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little later. Um, okay. But, I mean, he wasn't above the Greeks' uh, racial slurs. I mean, who isn't? Right, right. But, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. That little, uh, that little detail. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Here in India, he also mentions meeting an Indian rhinoceros, which is details you need to know for the rest of your life. You meet? Can you meet a rhinoceros, or do you just sort of, like, encounter a rhinoceros? I, I think it was a meet and greet. Like, you, you could... Oh, okay. Yeah, you go into, a, like, a little a, a little tea cafe, and there'd be rhinos Coffee there in their donuts, suits. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hello, so Hello, <laughs> Ebon Batuta. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, that's actually a, an, a recording of the event. There's no sprinkles on my chocolate donut! What?! <laughs> I'm gonna spear you with my nose knife! <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm oh, on another God. level. Have we yeah. mentioned that yet? Okay. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, so here... here. <laughs> So, things then get kind of difficult. <laughs> I'm even throwing you off. You are. <laughs> and it's not your nose knife. It's your other one. Okay, so things get a little hard for Ibn Battuta. And the, the Sultan of Delhi, who had made him a judge, remember, he went between lavishing Batuta with gifts to declaring that Batuta was a traitor. Oh and my he, God. He, he would just go back and forth, a little unstable. And this went on for six years. As oh, geez. Ibn Battuta tried to find some excuse to get out of India and out of the Sultan's territory. Finally, after six years, he got the opp opportunity when the Chinese asked him to help with some construction project, and he was allowed by the Sultan to leave to go help the Chinese. This is so interesting, the fact that he's, like, getting requests to help with architecture. Right. Well, he's so From... well-traveled. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, that was rare. And he's not just a merchant or a, or a pilgrim. He's doing the traveling to travel, which was kind right. of a, a new thing. I assume yeah. that means he's... Was he upper class? Yeah, yeah. Remember, uh, he his parents were involved with different... Or, well, probably just his dad. Involved with different law things back in Morocco. So he had some money. Uh, and also, when he would travel around, uh, a lot of the local kings and sultans and priests would often give him gifts. Because uh, that was just mm. kind of the courteous thing to do. I know, I know being a, well, showing a lot of hospitality is important in Islamic culture, so that probably helped. Um, but even among the Christians and the, the Chinese and the Hindus, he was very well respected generally, just because he was a traveler, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah well, that was very rare back then. How many people do you have in your city or your little village, or mm -hmm. even in your country, who have visited this many different places? Right. I mean, right. if nothing else, he's got a brain full of information that you could use. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's heading to China now, and he, on his way to the coast of India to get a boat to sail to China, something bad happened. Mm. Mm -hmm. On to trial number seven! What uh -oh. happens next to Ibn Battuta? Number one, does he almost drown in a flooded river. 
Number two, does he get attacked by a group of bandits? Number three, does he get invited to tea with Joe Biden? Or number four, does he get called back and imprisoned by the Sultan? Oh God, I'm gonna say called back and imprisoned. Oh, oh no. Damn oh. it. Oh no. Oh no, that's that's a missed ten points. That's a missed oh, ten it. points. No, 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 no. He gets attacked by a group of crafty bandits. Oh uh, no! Yeah, damn so that's a missed it. ten I was points. Doing so well. You were, you were, you were six. You're six for seven right now. That's still not bad. You've got a few more. Anyway, so Ibn Battuta, he gets robbed. He almost dies, and he's separated from his group for ten days. But they eventually reach the coast. He regroups with his group. They visit a few uh, coastal Indian cities as well as the Maldive, the Maldive Islands, something like that. All and those. he, yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they're little islands uh, off the southern coast of India. And he spends about nine months on these tropical islands because why the hell wouldn't you? Like, seriously, look up pictures of the Maldive, Maldive, whatever the fuck it is. Islands, they're... <laughs> they're, they're what you picture when you think tropical paradise. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's spending here, he's spending nine months here, and he does write that he is disgusted that the local women didn't wear anything above their waist. Oh my. But then again, he stayed here for nine months, so, I mean, what's really going on, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Hey! Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Batuti indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah. After I this, that's, that's the perfect amount of time he could skip town, right? <laughs> yes, I guess so. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, after this, he jumps on a ship and heads to Sri Lanka. But oh, good God, our boat is sinking! But thankfully, another boat comes to save them, so they're on this new boat and they're safe. But oh, good God, now pirates have attacked! Oh! Trial wow. number eight. Oh shit. The, the pirates are attacking. So what do you do? So here's the thing. Here's how this works. Uh, and listeners, you, you're gotta, you gotta be accountable to this one. You've got 10 seconds to start saying things you might do or need in case of a pirate attack. Now what I'm looking for is one word in particular, okay? And if you say this one word, you get your 10 points. But if oh you say God. other random words, you don't get the 10 points. So think. This is bullshit. <laughs> this, think of things that you would need or want in case of a pirate attack. Ready? 10 seconds, go! Ten, Fire cannons, gunpowder, uh, a fast seven, ship to get away, uh, anti-pirate spray, four, cutlasses, swords, three, two, money, one. uh, nope, hostages. You don't Damn it. get the 10 points. The one Fucking word tyrant. that I was... <laughs> the one word that I was looking for is jump overboard. <laughs> Fuck! What the fuck? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, you missed that ten points. Uh, yep. Oh, God. Okay. And if you say that's not one word, it's two, well, then you've just believed the lies of the government. So, <laughs> Ibn Battuta jumps overboard and is marooned on shore for a while, but eventually makes his way back to India and eventually joins a Chinese boat to finally make it to China. Along the way to China, Ibn Battuta visited Bangladesh, hiked some mountains, and visited a renowned Shah Jalal, who was living in a cave. And this guy's actually pretty famous in the Bangladesh area. Uh, he lived in a cave, and he, he had prophecies, and he spoke all sorts of religious wisdom and whatnot. So Ibn Battuta visits him up in the, in the Himalayan cave, and Shah Jalal 
keeps only one item of value for himself. Oh, one no. item. Trial. What was it? Trial number nine! What was the one one item of value that Shah Jalal kept in his cave? Number one. Was it a waffle recipe his grandmother had once created? Number two. Was it a goat? Number three. <laughs> was it a book? Number four. Was it a well of fresh water? Oh my god. How am I ever supposed to get this? <laughs> Just fuck it. A goat. He kept a goat up there. Correct! It was a goat! It was a goat! That is ten points for you, sir. Oh so, my god. Yep, the Shah kept a goat. And uh, it provided him with milk, butter, and yogurt. All he needed to survive. <laughs> and that's why it was his true item of wealth. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> then Ibn Battuta went to northern Sumatra, where he described the actions of the Islamic rulers here, the region, the economy, etc. He wrote it all down later on. Then he traveled into southern Asia, into either mo- either modern blah, either modern day Vietnam or Taiwan, but Whoa. this is disputed. Uh, we don't really know which area it was, but it was somewhere along that that southern tip of Asia. Then he traveled. Uh, well, he finally he finally makes it to China in 1345, and here he was welcomed by the officials with flags, drums, trumpets, and musicians. Wow! So, pretty neat. And, according uh, to him. According to him, yeah, later on. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so he travels a bunch to Chinese cities. And the cameras ma- won't zoom out and show you how many people were there. That's <laughs> right, that's right. It's just a bunch of cardboard cutouts, but who knows? That's... <laughs> Yeah. So he travels to a bunch of Chinese uh, cities. He records their customs, traditions, way of trading, etc. He did a ton more things, uh, but you get the idea. Anyway, uh, another funny thing is he asked a lot of people if they knew about the Great Wall of China, but nobody had any idea what he was talking about. Uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess, who knows? Anyway, he eventually left, got on a boat, and sailed back along the coast, eventually arriving in Kuwait. Then he went to Damascus, and then sailed to Mecca, and here he learned that his dad had died 15 years ago. Oh. So he's he's been gone a long time, and he learns that his dad has died. It's super sad. Man. So he figures that it's probably a good time to go home to help mom. Uh, but on the way back, he, he visits the island of Sardinia, or Sardinia in the Mediterranean, because why not? It's on the way. Uh, and finally, in 1349, after like 24 years of being gone, Ibn Battuta finally returned home to Ro- Morocco. Only to find that his mom had died a couple months prior. Oh! Yeah. It's... Oh, no. It's sad. But our boy ain't done yet! Soon he travels to the Muslim-controlled portions of Spain, and oh god no, the Christians are trying to retake southern Spain! So Ibn Battuta actually joins a militia to defend Gibraltar uh, against the Christians, but then the Black Death arrives and kills the Christian king and a ton of the Christian soldiers, so, so much for that, the whole thing is cancelled. So he travels a bit more in Spain, he visits Valencia and Granada, and then he goes back to Morocco, before crossing the Sahara Desert to explore Central Africa. This dude won't stop. I was going to say, they cannot 
You cannot stop the Batootie! Batuta, yeah. damn it. The Batootie Batuta, that's true. And the other thing that you can't stop is it's time for trial number 10! The final trial! Oh no. So, you're making Ibn Batuta the movie. Voice the trailer and convince me to see it. Or if you're a listener, convince the nearest person. You have 20 seconds. Go. This summer, the greatest traveler on Earth and in history goes on a journey where he learns that what he leaves at home is more valuable than what he finds abroad. Six, five. I got five seconds left. You can't go home again. It's good enough. That that was <laughs> that was riveting. Jesus. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, wow. all right, just writing down your points. Okay, you passed that. <laughs> Listeners, you gotta you gotta ask the person next to you if they wanna see Ibn Battuta, the movie. Anyway, <laughs> we're we're almost there. We're almost there. Uh, okay. we're we're done with the trials. You can rest easy now. You But you... where is there? Where is Batuta going? What is he searching for? I don't know. <laughs> Ask Batuta. <laughs> Not even a guess? No. Um, opium? Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm searching for, so I can only speak from personal experience. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, in 1352, Ibn Batuta joined a caravan heading over the Sahara and eventually arriving in the city of Taghaza, where all of the houses were built out of slabs of salt, interestingly enough. Because Whoa. apparently they had a ton of salt resources. Uh, but the problem what happened with... happened when it rained? Well, this is the Sahara. I don't think they're too worried. <laughs> <laughs> the things they are worried about, and uh, Ibn Battuta writes this down, is that there were flies everywhere, and the water was black as tar. <laughs> oh. So moving on. <laughs> Eventually, he reaches the Mali Empire in Central Africa and visits a couple impressive cities, including the city of Timbuktu. Uh, then he saw a hippo and was scared because all the locals were scared of such things. I mean, who the fuck isn't scared of hippos? I've seen Bill Clinton! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anyway, he's in the Mali Empire and he's here for a few, few more months traveling all over the place. And then a messenger arrives from the Sultan of Morocco, commanding that Ibn Battuta return home immediately. So our boy packs up and heads straight back home. And that brings the travels of Ibn Battuta to an end. But more importantly, it brings Ibn Battuta and the minutia of his travels to not Tortuga nor Chattanooga, the game, to an end. Thank Jesus. <laughs> let's see. Let's see how you did. Listeners, I want you to compile all of your points together. And remember that special number out of eight, uh, out of a hundred that you got to. So, Aaron, you got, let's see, you got eight out of the ten uh, trials correct. That's impressive. That's, that's eight out of ten. So you have 80 points. Okay. Now, here are the prizes. Are you ready? Listeners, are you ready? Okay, here we ready. go. If you scored zero points, your new title is a small piece of rotting pancake. <laughs> if you, <Fuck> you. <laughs> if you scored ten to twenty points, 
10 or 20 points. Your oh. new eternal title is Terrare's Deflated Stomach. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. If you scored 30, 40, or 50 points, your new title is Santa's Surf. <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate. That's too bad, really. If you scored 60 to 70 points, your new title is a forgotten shopping cart. Okay. If you scored 80 points, and this is you, Aaron. This is you. You scored 80 points. Aaron, oh I, I give unto you the new title, Shield Brother Burrito. Oh, I, I'm good with that. That's yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> not bad, right? I told you the upper, the upper levels were pretty good. Yeah. Now, for those listeners of you who scored higher, listen up. If you scored 90 points, you are now... Lord Spencer of the Universe. <laughs> okay. And if you scored a hundred points, all ten questions correct, you are actually Ibn Battuta himself reincarnated. There's just no other explanation because this whole game was pretty much rigged. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I thought you were gonna say like, no, if you scored ten points. You're a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> That's if you scored 110 points. No, 100 points is Ibn oh. Battuta himself. So leave a comment if okay. you are, in fact, Ibn Battuta. And, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll take you out for lunch. <laughs> yeah. If he can find you. That's true. That's true. Well, I think, I think I'm going to put the game away now. So let me just press your secret button over here. Okay, yeah. I mean, it all, it all should fold in on itself. Oh. Hold on. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta press, you gotta push it in. Shit. Okay. Alright, wait, I got it. Okay. I got it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Alright, there we go. Good, there it is. Alright, perfect. Well, it's in the desk now. Uh, don't press that button, especially if someone's standing in front of the desk. It will, it okay. will crush them. You're standing in front of the desk right now. Dear God, I hope you like me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing the button. <laughs> well, it broke after one try. That's... Oh, I mean, damn I, it! I bought it from Walmart. What can you expect? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. that brings an end to that horrible section, which was a travesty to mankind. Okay. How about we go on to Harry Houdini's end in death? All right. Let's do it. All right, Perfect. so when we left Houdini, he was performing all of his escape artistry and making lots of money. Hooray! And he was also, like, hunting down fake psychics and all those fake magicians and things. Oh, right, 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 right. And x-ray eyes and all that shit. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> anyway, Houdini's death is kind of weird. Okay. Uh, after breaking his ankle during a performance, oh. uh, he was lounging, lounging about in a dressing room with some of his students and followers. Mm-hmm. When one of them asks, Do you believe in the miracles of the Bible? <laughs> I heard you were invulnerable to punches. Oh. Word for word. Okay. Houdini doesn't even get to answer this stunning revelation <laughs> before his student jumps up without warning and what? starts punching Houdini in the gut over oh, and over. <laughs> what the hell? Houdini finally waves him off like, yo, dude, I can handle punches, but I have to brace myself first. Yeah, no shit. This is just a battery. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, okay. 
Houdini mm-hmm. went on to, I mean, seriously, do you believe in the miracles of the Bible? <laughs> That's what he asked. What, All right. What miracle are we referring to? <laughs> the miracle of getting punched in the ass. And the miracle behind the curtain, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Jesus turned water to wine behind a curtain? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, Houdini still went on to perform that evening with a mm. broken ankle and several gut punches. Oh, um, God. But he was in terrible pain. Right. He went to a doctor with a fever of 102 oh. uh, and found out that he had a really bad case of appendicitis. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. It's getting punched in the appendix yeah. probably didn't <laughs> right. feel so hot. No. So the doctor was all like, lad, we got to cut that thing out right now. Uh-huh. Uh, and Houdini said no, and then went on stage that night hmm. where he passed out on stage. Oh, Thankfully, he was revived and he finished the act. Oh, good for him. That's yeah. a true American. And then he went to the hospital where he did die at 52. Oh, God. Yeah. Jeez. Now, there's a conspiracy theory out there about all Okay, of, of course. Yeah. Some people seem to think that Houdini might have been murdered by some of the spiritualists that Houdini had been debunking. Interesting. But from what I can tell, this theory doesn't hold much water and not that many people hmm. take it too yeah. seriously. I mean, okay. there's motive there, sure, but... I mean... I'm more convinced by redneck magic student than (laughs) (laughs) right, right, yeah, Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, so here's here's my reaction to Houdini. Okay, is that overall the actual Houdini name carries a lot more interesting implications than his actual story? Mm -hmm. Like he was a showman who made a lot of money doing crazy escapes or illusions or escapes of illusions of escapes or whatever, depending on who you believe. I gotta admit, I was underwhelmed by him. Yeah. Uh, but that's maybe because the name is so famous. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would be with you there. I was underwhelmed as well, mainly because of the fucking curtain. <laughs> it just appears <laughs> yeah. every time there's a problem. Well, it'd be one thing if there was no curtain. Mm-hmm. But he still did the magic. Yeah. And it'd be another thing if he did the magic and then just told us how behind the curtain. Like, sure. that would have been one thing. Like, but nope. Nope. No such satisfaction for us. And there's plenty of speculation about how he did it. And even that video I watched might not have been how he did the milk can escape. Sure, sure. Whatever. It's a theory. You know. So, uh, why don't you tell us about Ibn Battuta's early, or end in death. Right. So, upon arriving home and with encouragement from the Sultan, Ibn Battuta recalled and put down all of his journeys and experiences into the book, a gift to those who contemplate the wonders of cities and marvels of traveling. Uh, and that's kind of all I found. What? Yeah. He he writes the book, and then he eventually dies in Morocco, probably from old age. Um, I think it was in 1377, I think, somewhere around there. Uh, his book, though, is very valuable and a rare look into medieval Africa, Middle East, China, India, and Southeast Asia. Um, it's a really important record. Uh, A lot of what we know about these places, cultures, and times are because of Ibn Battuta. Still, it should be said, not everything in his book is completely reliable. For example, like I said earlier, he probably never made it to Russia, um, even though he said he did. 
But still, a lot of what he takes credit for were based off of the travels of others, so it's still valuable history. Other than that, Ibn Battuta has received some flack for his xenophobia and disgust at certain people, groups along the way. But again, like we were talking about, this is kind of just how everybody was in the 1300s. And even if he was disgusted by other people, he was still eager to interact with them, explore their lands and cities, and learn their ways. Yes. So good for him for that. And that's that's above and beyond at that time period. Yeah. It's, it's shocking to me that a person like that could be accused of xenophobia. I know, it's... Uh, it's not this, like, xenophobia, xenophobics do not go to other places. No, yeah. Because they're xenophobics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was out and about I mean, and dealing with everyone. Yeah, and even though his... I mean, you're born in a culture, you're raised that way, you have a religion, you have a people, you have a tribe and a family, all that good stuff. Yep. You think that that's the best way to do things, because that's what you know. And yeah. you go out into the world and there are people doing things differently, and it's like, huh... You already have these built-in biases because you've spent, you know, 21 years, as Ibn Battuta did, in right. his culture. Yeah. You go out and experience all these different cultures. Of course you're not going to like them as much as you like your own. Of course. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think that's idiotic. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> that, that criticism is idiotic. I, I am with you there. And I, I have, again, okay. I haven't read all of his book, but who knows? <laughs> I, I mean, I, he may have said some shit that was, you know, bigoted and whatever. Fill of in course, the blank, yeah. But one, it's the 1300s. Mm -hmm. Two, despite whatever hatred he may have had for other people, which I just don't detect that at all. Right. Uh, like, he still went out and talked with them and yes. worked with them. Yeah. Yeah. So good for him. We need, like... more, we need more Batutas in our life. And I need more Batuti in mine. I, that was a soft low pitch for, for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying hard. <laughs> that was like 2017, 2018 era. Yeah, that that yeah. really was. That was a that was a good time. Yeah, Poor no, it wasn't. Time. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think that... that's great. I think we should head to the surface, don't you, James? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do for the rest of the day? Well, I'm here in your brother's closet still, and um, I hate to say this, I really do, but the floor mm. is still greasy oh. from when I ate those delicious burritos in here months ago. The, months ago. Um, there's like a layer of grease. If I lit a match in here, I, <laughs> I'd be gone. So, um... I am going to get a spoon, collect this grease into canisters, and then fire it at a Spanish galleon. Uh, okay. That sounds like a good plan. That's my plan for the day. What about you? Uh, I am going to have lunch because I'm starving. And then after that, I have no fucking clue. Okay. Fair enough. I'll just, just wander around in the abyss and think about things that matter here's an idea okay um make your lunch and then you know just just take a nap or something after after you make lunch and um oh. just just for convenience just 
you don't want you don't want viruses and stuff growing on your lunch while you're taking a nap. Just uh, just place your uh, your tasty lunch in your uh, refrigerator. And oh, then, um, that's a that's a good idea. Wait a second. What? You're gonna steal my lunch. I'm gonna steal well, your I... heart. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm having for lunch. But well, I was it's already gonna in say, your fridge, James. There's what? no such thing as a free lunch. What? That's right. Well, that changes my whole world. <laughs> there's no such thing as... A, the, the other half of that phrase is there's no such thing as a free lunch unless you have an interdimensional portal in your fridge. Yeah. Which, and like it or not, you do. And James do. is going to come get your food. And if you're missing food or your socks, just know that I ate them both. And that's about it. That's all I got to yeah. say today. That's I'm done. Well, um, in that case... Uh, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate tweets to WTADP Podcast. We will read all of them and not along. If you feel like talking to James in particular, you can send us a message on Facebook and we talk about dead people. Uh, if you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash We Talk About Dead People. 50 bucks, 20 bucks, even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to bribe a guard to give you a key and let you escape without going to Siberia helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that said, we'll close out and let the sounds of Harry Houdini escaping from this podcast play you out. Well, it's time to, uh, it's time to finally see this Houdini scoundrel. I don't think much of magic and sorcery, but I'll give this a go. After all, it is a, it is a good day for magic. So, Houdini, up there on the stage, please uh, entertain me. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Harry Houdini, and today I will perform my milk can escape illusion. Hmm. I will be submerged in this water and chained. Now, the, hold on there, Houdini. What? Wha? You said milk can, but then proceeded to say it'd be filled with water. I see hypocrisy at its finest, sir. You fill that up with, with milk. Milk, I say, and nothing but 2%. 2%! Well, for the case of this trick, I will be using water. Yes. Yeah. All right, then, ladies and gentlemen, I will be escaping from this can after being chained up, submerged in water, and having the, se- the top sealed. Here we go. Funk chunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, does, it does seem like this actually is quite a trick. Now, I... Hmm. Think... Oh, what the fuck is this? Is that what the what a curtain? You think, Houdini, I want my money back? You think that dropping a giant rug over your little contraption fools me? I know you're a curtain gobbler. I know you curtained my curtain. <laughs> Presto. Well. That's actually quite impressive. I buy it. Take all of my money, Houdini, and my daughter's hand in marriage as well. You've done it, sir. You've done it. 
Now I shall escape from Siberia. Oh, dear God, the gulags are coming. That wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs>